John chapter 3, let me just uh, read the, uh, the beginning of John chapter 3 and kind of get us going this morning. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me just uh, pray for this series and this sermon. God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for giving us the grace to, to be together today. And I pray that Holy Spirit, um, just as you miraculously and graciously caused me to be born again, that now you would empower me to preach um, the gospel with effectiveness and with power. Um, no doubt my mind is going to be in different places, but may the words of my mouth not fall to the ground, but glorify God and benefit your people as we feed on the word of God today. I, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I'm, learning, I'm trying to learn a lesson in my life. And the lesson I'm trying to learn um, is, is really kind of, uh, there's a, a, an approach to life where you're trying to get rich, and then there's an approach to life to just being rich. I, I watched a movie the other week called uh, All the Money in the World, and, and Gotti, this, this one of the most rich guys ever in the history of the world, he, he talked about how he didn't want to write a book on how to be rich because anybody can get rich. He wanted to write a book on how to be rich. And there's a big difference, isn't there? Uh, you can approach life by, by saying, you know, the quality of life comes from possessions or the quality of life comes from houses or the, the quality of life comes from reputation or the quality of life comes from health. But Jesus comes with the gospel that says that the quality of life really has nothing to do with outward things, but inward things. The condition of our life, the condition of our heart. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I, I've come that you might have meaningful life that's not rooted in possessions, but that is rooted in peace. Uh, 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 a meaningful life that's not rooted in homes, but it's rooted in harmony. Meaningful life that's not based on uh, people-pleasing, but, but finding pleasure in the Creator and, and living for divine purposes on earth. The goal of life is not to get rich. You were made to be rich. 
You were made to have a soul full uh, with a, a radiant perspective of your God and your creator. You were made to be reconciled on the inside with God. You know, one of the themes we're going to keep coming back to in this series is that God wants to win you from the inside. And imagine, imagine a life where you, you're rich on the inside even if you're poor on the outside. Imagine a life with, with strength and peace and harmony on the inside no matter what's happening on the outside. You'll neither take success too seriously or you won't take failure too seriously either. You will be a whole person. And when Jesus came into this world to give us meaningful life, when he came to, to take us from darkness to light, he was, he was talking about that kind of wealth. And that's why he said to all people, you must be born again. You must have something happen to you on the inside to give you the kind of meaningful, eternal life that Jesus came to purchase for us. And in our world, in our culture, with politics out of control, with materialism out of control, with consumerism out of control, and a, the abundance of anxiety, it is good for us to come to these passages and to hear Jesus tell us about what really brings life Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be won by God on the inside of your life. And we ask ourselves, what does he mean by this? What is, what is, the, what is the intricacies? What is the, what is the stuff of rebirth? What does Jesus mean by being born again? How, is this, how does this happen? The whole text is about how is this able to happen? Nicodemus keeps saying, how, how can this happen? And Jesus begins to outline how we must be born again. And the first thing he says to us is he says, you must be born again from within, not out. From within, not out. That, that something must happen to you on the inside. You must be remade as a human being on the inside. Look at this text again. He says in John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? When we think about Nicodemus, it says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And who is Nicodemus? It says here that Nicodemus is a, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus is a, an intellectual genius. Nicodemus is a, an effective person. Nicodemus is a moral person. He's not only a Pharisee, he is a leader of the Pharisees. There's only about 6,000 Pharisees in the time of Jesus Christ. And we in our churches, in our evangelical churches, we give the Pharisees a hard time. But I promise you that Pharisees in Jesus' time were some of the most respected citizens. Everybody looked up to the Pharisees. Nobody looked at Pharisees and said, I don't like Pharisees. Everybody liked the Pharisees. 
They had their life together. They were moral. They protected conservative biblical values. They were, they were family people. They worked hard during the day doing labor and trades. And then at night they were scholars. They were, they were, like, they were like the spiritual navy seals. And Nicodemus was like, like a leader of these spiritual navy seals. He was the cream of the crop. And everybody would have looked at Nicodemus and said, if there's one person that's going to get into the kingdom of God, if there's one person who has found life, it's this man right here. He's got it all together. Oh, if I could be as good as Nicodemus, if I could have my life together like Nicodemus, if I could, if I could have the stuff of Nicodemus, if, if I could just have that orderly life. But how many of y'all know there's a lot of people that look good on the, in, out, or on the outside, but on the inside, they're impoverished. That's why Nicodemus is coming by night to Jesus. It doesn't make sense to him. I've accomplished everything. I've got my life together. I'm smart. I understand things. I'm an intellectual. I'm righteous. And yet something feels different. And so it's interesting because when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's not saying to him, my life is all out of whack. He's saying, what's my next step? I just, I've heard about you turning water into wine. I've seen you heal people. I've, I've seen these signs of your miracles, Jesus. And what I need you to do is tell me what my next steps is because I've taken a lot of steps spiritually. But I feel like something is missing. My religion is not good enough. My effectiveness is not good enough. I need you to top off my righteousness. I need you to top off my effectiveness. I need you to complete what I've already started. And as opposed to telling him how to move forward, Jesus says, Nicodemus, all of your effectiveness, your whole resume and pedigree is no good. There's no way forward. You're going to have to start over. Because what God has for you is not on the outside. And what God has for you is not something you can accomplish. What God has for you is not something you can reach to or attain or grasp or control. What God has for you is a miracle. And it's not on the outside that God has given it to you. It's on the inside that God wants to give it to you. You must be born again. That's why Nicodemus, it's not like he's taking Jesus literally. It's not like he's like, how can somebody go back into his mother's womb a second time? He's playing along with the figure. He's playing along with the metaphor. He's like, I'm an old man. And when you get old, you get set in your ways. Can I get an amen? I figure, I've already set myself on how I'm going to do religion. And you're telling me spiritually and metaphorically to start over again. How can you? It's like telling somebody to go back into his mother's womb. This metaphor doesn't work, Jesus. You got to tell me the next step. You can't tell me to go back and start again. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again from within. He's referring, he would expect Nicodemus to know these passages 
but Jesus might not expect us because we're still learning the Bible, but Jesus is making reference to the promise of the new covenant when Ezekiel said, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verses 25 and 26, listen to this. Ezekiel said, or God said through Ezekiel, I will, sprinkle, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When Jesus says you got to be born of spirit and water, he's referring to that promise of Ezekiel. He's saying the Holy Spirit of God must come on the inside of you, Nicodemus. Yes, even you. Even you. you even in your morality, the Spirit must come in and must give you a new heart. And without that miraculous, gracious work of the Holy Spirit, doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how religious you are, doesn't matter how respected you are, doesn't matter what they say at your funeral, if you are not born of the Spirit and of the water, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Because that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The only thing human effort can do is human effort can, a mommy and daddy can come together and produce a baby. That's as good as it gets, which is still pretty good. Can I get an amen? But to get into the kingdom of heaven, human effort, human love, human religion, human ability cannot attain the kingdom of God. It must be given to you from the inside. That is why, beloved, you and I have to have as much compassion on intellectual, having it all together kind of folks. You have to have as much compassion on them as you would for somebody at Pontiac Correctional Facility. And the reason why you have to have compassion for them is because they're lost and they know it. It's, it's got to be scary for Nicodemus to know everything and to feel like he has nothing. To understand mysteries, to understand scripture, to understand deep thoughts, and, and yet to feel like I, I'm in the night and I don't have light. It's like C.S. Lewis, he was an intellectual, he's an atheist, and he was so smart he could understand all religions, and he was studying Hinduism, and he was studying Christianity, and he was, he was, he was so much smarter, he was, he was so much smarter than, than everyone else, and he was lost. And he said, I was confused. I said, God doesn't exist. And I was mad at God for not existing. All that intellectual power, all that togetherness. And yet there was a fracturing. Nicodemus, you must be born again from within. From God. Not from yourself. Look at verse 7, Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know what Jesus is saying? You can't control God. You can't manipulate Him. You can't hustle God. 
You can't take the spirit and try to grab the spirit and regulate the spirit and bring him to you through your own works to get him to do what you want. The spirit's like the wind. It comes and goes as it wants. Y'all seen all those big, I think they're kind of dumb, but those big windmill things that gather the wind for, for energy, you know, out there, you drive out in the country. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you're driving and those windmills, you can't put those out there and suddenly the wind's going to be like, oh, you put up a windmill thing. The wind comes and goes as it wills. And so it is with salvation with God. Only God can save you and I. You can't save yourself. You can't do it yourself. There's nothing you can offer that can control this. And of course Calvinists are right. Calvinists are right about this passage. They're saying that salvation is of sovereign grace. Salvation is, salvation is, the, is the grace of God. Salvation is, is something that's unearned and undeserved and, and you, can't, you can't earn it. You can't do something so that God's like, oh, I got to save you. Salvation is completely of sovereign grace. That's, that's absolutely right. But hear the emphasis because the emphasis is this. Human beings, our pride thinks that we can save ourselves. And the reason why we're not saved is because we don't humble ourselves before God and say, God, I can't do this. All I've got is empty hands. And if we would just say, I have empty hands, then God would come because he cast out no one who comes to him. You see, we must be born again from within. But not only must we be born again from within, we must be born again from above. Look at verse 9. Go to John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is like, how can this be? Spirits, only God, only God can do this uh, uh, sovereignly. Only God can, can give me this salvation. How can these things be? And Jesus is like, you're a teacher of Israel. I would expect an unchurched person who doesn't know the Bible to maybe ask that question, but not you, Nicodemus. You've read the whole Bible from Genesis all the way through Malachi. You've read this book. And every event, every moment of salvation is God coming from heaven and saving the day. When a flood was coming, God showed up to Noah and said, build an ark and everybody who gets on the ark will be saved from the flood of judgment. When Abraham was worshiping the moon in Ur, God just came down from heaven and showed up and just gave him by grace the acknowledgement and the awareness that he was to leave his idolatry and follow God. When Israel was in bondage to Egypt, 
and they couldn't save themselves. God showed up in the baby Moses, put the baby Moses in a little basket. It survives the Nile River. He ends up being raised in Egypt and ultimately the deliverer because God came from heaven down to earth to save. Everything in the Bible is about God coming down. And are you a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, and you don't realize that it's not you that can save yourself? It's only God that can save yourself? Has religion so blinded you? Has your own pride and your own behavior, behavior modification so blinded you that you have forgotten the, the most simplest theology that the Bible repeats over and over again? Salvation is of the Lord. God comes down. And Jesus says that the fullest manifestation of God coming down, that all of these events in the Old Testament is but a picture of the Son of Man who comes down. He is the ark. He is the Moses. He is the deliverer. He is the nation. He is the temple. He is the body. He is the Savior of the world. You see, salvation comes from above because here's the truth. What human beings are doing is human beings know that they have to be born again. Human beings know that they have to remake themselves. Human beings feel their lostness. Human beings feel their darkness and their sin. And what human beings are trying to do is they're trying to save themselves. They're trying to remake themselves. They're trying to cause themselves to be born again. And none of it works. He says here, he says, I think this is important. He says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. The ancient mythology, the ancient mythology was this. The ancient mythology was that human beings could get enlightenment if divine sparks fell from heaven and randomly fell on a human being. So the way to get enlightenment, the way to be a philosopher, the way way to know the mysteries of life is is if sparks kind of came down like pixie dust. And if a spark hit you, arbitrarily, if it just hit you, you you'd be like, I'm enlightened. I understand life. I'm philosophical. You see, that was, that was ancient mythology. It was random. Different sparks came down out of heaven, impersonal sparks. And that ancient mythology is not too different from modern mythology because modern mythology is about postmodernism. Modern, uh, modern mythology is about you can create your own God. You can create your own way. You can create your own spirituality. You all have a divine spark in you, a divine inspiration that's impersonal that you are in control of. And Jesus is saying that the way to be born again is not your own idea of remaking yourself. And it's not a spark. It's not the angel within you. The way to be born again is a person. It's not behavior modification. It's not self-technique. It's not a remaking of, of your identity before other people it's not a remaking of your body or your gender or your sexuality the way to be born again to truly find peace is to lay hold of the person the son of man because salvation comes from above not below 
You can't look down to the ground. You can't look down to creation and, 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 and try to manipulate creation through technology to recreate yourself. You must look to the person who came from heaven. And the Spirit is enlightening people to look to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And why is it that only the Son of God is the way? Why is it that Jesus is the only way? And that's because we need atonement. He's making a reference here to Numbers chapter 21. And Numbers chapter 21 is when the Israelites had sinned against God. And as a result of sinning against God, they were snake bitten. And the poison of the snake was killing them. And then God told Moses to put a serpent on a a stick and hold it up. And everyone who looked up to the serpent on the stick would be healed of their snake poison. And so as the Israelites, the ones who listened to that promise, if you just look up to the serpent on the stick, you'll you'll be saved. And so as they looked up, the ones who looked up, they they were literally delivered from the poison within Jesus is comparing himself to that serpent on a stick. And that's a stunning thing because we're we're curious about this. Why would Jesus compare himself to a serpent? The serpent in the Old Testament represented Satan in the garden. The serpent represented sin. The serpent represented rebellion. Why would Jesus say to us that, that, that he is like the serpent? And the reason why is because the gospel tells us that Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. That Jesus absorbed our poison. He absorbed our rebellion. He took on in our place the penalty that was ours. When we fell before the serpent, when we gave in to the, the temptation of original sin, we, we took that poison in us. And now Jesus on the cross. And when the Spirit causes us to be born again, he said, the Spirit tells us, look to the cross. And what does that mean to look to the cross? That means to admit, I have rebelled against God. I have joined, I have joined the side of the enemy. And I'm looking to the cross to admit it, to lay down my arms of, of enmity against God. And I'm looking to the Savior to forgive me because what I need is not to remake myself. What I need is to be remade in a new relationship with God through forgiveness. We must be born again from above by looking up, not looking down. Because the history of human beings is looking down. The history of human beings is looking down to the ground and saying, how am I going to run from God? How am I going to take the stuff of earth and manipulate it so I can hide, so that I can, so that I can try to remake my own salvation, so that I can do this self-salvation thing? Adam and Eve took those bushes and they turned bushes into a hiding spot. The people of the Tower of Babel took brick technology and they tried, to, they tried to build up a big tower for their own glory. 
the story of Babylon, all the way to the book of Revelation with the prostitute and, 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 and all those things coming up out of the ocean. It's all about human beings manipulating nature, taking creation of the creator and trying to remake their own glory, their own salvation. We all look down to the ground and we take technology, we do that. And beloved, we take religion and we do the same thing. There are more people hiding from God behind religion than anywhere else. There are so many church people running from God in their morality and their self-righteousness and their bigotry and all the rest of it, their denominational pride. And if we're not taking technology, if we're not taking religion, we're taking culture and we're hiding from God in our cultural affection. The Holy Spirit says you must be born again from above. You've got to let go of technology as your means of salvation and religion and culture. And you've got to look up to the Christ. And as you look up to the Christ, you'll live. You'll be healed as you look up to the Christ. You'll be healed not by a program, but by the person of the Son of God. You must be born again from above. From within, from above. And then finally... Let me wrap up my remarks on the text and then we'll talk application. But look at verse 16. John three sixteen. You must be born again from within, from above, and you must be born again from love. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what does Jesus mean to be born again? It means to, to come to this deep awareness and experience of the radical, abundant love of God. It says, God so loved the world. And I checked it last night because I'm working for you. Can I get an amen? But that word so, everybody say so. So. Doesn't just say God loved the world. Yeah, God loved it. I said, God so loved the world. That is in the Greek. It's there. Putting that seminary education to use. God so loved the world. And God doesn't just love the world in, in, in word. He loves the world in expression and demonstration. God loved the world. He demonstrates his own love for the world in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God so loved the world that, that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God so loved the world and that is why one of the repeated words in this passage, and it, you almost overlook it, but one of the most repeated words in this passage is whoever. Everybody say whoever. Five times it says whoever. 
Jesus is like, Nicodemus, this ain't about your religion. This ain't about your race. This ain't about your ethnic group. This ain't about some, some kind of geographical group of people out in the desert just right. This ain't about people who are kind of, they've gone halfway. This is whoever sees and hears Jesus and believes in him, they will be saved. Why? Because God's love is abundant. Because God's love that saves us doesn't originate in us. It doesn't originate in our skin color. It doesn't originate in how leathery our Bible is. Or it doesn't originate in in our works or our accomplishments. God's love originates in himself. And he gives it out unconditionally, agape love. Whoever. And what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is what Jesus would tell any modern group of people. Jesus is saying that the problem with this world is not that it lacks God's love. Because God's love is expressed all around us. The abundance of provision, the rain and the sunshine and creation all proclaims the abundant love of God. And God's love is extravagant because he gave his son to the world. This world's problem is not that, it, that God doesn't love it. This world's problem is that it does not love God. People love darkness rather than light. They're doing everything they can to suppress the love of God and unrighteousness. The world is doing everything it can to say, I'm not going to listen to God's love. I am not going to receive God's love. That's why we must be born again because the Spirit's got to open up our hearts, our hard hearts, stubborn and even after we're born again, we're still stubborn. That's why I like the, the picture of new birth, because you start out as a spiritual baby, and it is a long process growing up. Can I get an amen? Because we're still stubborn. We still are trying to cover up the love of God as the ultimate source of our life and our marriages and our parenting and our identity and our healing from other people abusing us. We're still trying to do everything we can to suppress the love of God because we like the darkness rather than the light. We like complaining rather than contentment. We like hate more than we like love. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. The love of God is all around. It's for whoever. And yet, we're trying to cover up our evil deeds. We're trying to, we're trying to stay away from God because we, we know in our conscience he's going to tell us that what we're doing to save ourselves isn't right. We know that he's going to tell us that us looking to our money to be our idol isn't right. That us looking to our, our pornography isn't right. That our, our looking to all of our other functional saviors isn't right. Or our popularity or what people think isn't right. He, we know God is going to tell us that that's not right. So we love the darkness rather than the light. And how do we get healed? It's not to fix ourselves. It's to come to God as we are and to say, I believe and I will receive your love for me in Jesus. We must be born again from love. Whoever, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You must be born again. You must be born again within by the Spirit. You must be born again from above through the Son. And you must be born again from love from the Father in Jesus Christ. 
And whoever just surrenders and lays down their arms and stops running and stops being stubborn and just says, you know what? My own, the only next step is just to stop and to receive the love of God for my life today. You will be blessed. And that poison in you will start to heal. You'll start to heal. You must be born again. You must be born again. That's why you can't, you know, you can't define salvation as just easy believism. There's a type of faith. It's the faith that lays hold to the affection of God for you in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. That's my introduction. Here's what I really came to say. Amen. What Jesus is saying is that faith is not a virtue. Faith is not a virtue. Faith is a confession. It's a confession. And the confession of faith is, God, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. All I have is emptiness. Faith is a confession of weakness. Faith is a confession of running and stopping and saying, I'm running. Faith is not a virtue. It's not a religion. It's not a destination. It's not a building. It's not a, it's not a work. It is a confession. Everyone who believes, believes what? That they're sick. That they're weak. This is as much for believers as it is unbelievers because as believers, we're still growing. It's not like you just show up and you have this experience with Jesus and it's all done. No, it's a journey. It's a walk. It's a lifestyle. And what's the lifestyle? It's a lifestyle of faith. And what's the faith? Faith is a confession. I need you. I need you, Jesus, from above. I need you, Holy Spirit, within. I need, I need you, Father, to remind me that, that, that my life is shaped by your love and not the love of the world. Faith is not a virtue. It's a confession and it's a claim. Faith is a claim. I claim the death of Jesus. I claim the love of God for my life today because Jesus died for me. I will not doubt today God's love for me. He loves me right where I'm at. He loves me and he's taking me to places I couldn't go on my own. God is my growth and I will grow in the love of God. And I'll go from a little spiritual baby that's been born again in Christ and I'll start to develop as I hold out an empty spoon of faith. That's one of the things I miss about being a, a daddy of little babies. You, amen. Perfect. That was awesome. You, you got those little ba- ah, you know, they, they cry, and you put them in their little high chair. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the high chair, and you pull out the little Gerber food. You know what I'm saying? You got that spoon. You start stirring up that Gerber, and you, you know, you kind of get, oh, you know, and, oh, you know, and, they, and then you're like, like that, and they just start opening up their mouth. You put that little food on their spoon, and you start feeding them in that open mouth. You hope they open their mouth, but they usually get pretty good at opening their mouth. That's what faith is. And God's holding the spoon and God's holding the food and God's holding the word and God's holding the life and God's holding the truth and God's holding your life. And all we gotta do, all faith is, is man, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And it starts with being born again, but that, that whole process of being born again is we just keep doing that over and over again, just an empty mouth opening up to God and his love and his spirit and his son. Father, son, and Holy Spirit, feed me, feed us. Faith is not a virtue. Faith is a confession. When you read the word of God, that's what you're doing. You're confessing, I need to hear from you today, God. My mouth is open. I'm not trying to be intellectual. I'm not trying to be theological. I'm trying to be a child of God. And I'm reading this word as if you are speaking to me. I'm reading this word as if, as if my very life depended on it today. And when I'm praying, I'm not, I'm not praying to try to earn some kind of favor. I'm, I'm praying because God's got everything I need. And I'm opening up my heart and my soul through prayer and I'm trying to feed. Faith is not a virtue, it's a confession. I need you today, God. Holy Spirit, I, flesh just produces fleshy things. Flesh just produces human results. Flesh just does like basic human modification. Man, I don't need human modification or behavioral modification. I need transformation and Spirit of God transform my heart today. May I be a man that lives by the Holy Spirit. I'm looking out to other people and I'm not looking at other people as if they're my salvation. I'm looking at other people as if they're the opportunity for me to express the love of God too. And I'm not looking to creation to try to hide myself behind technology, to try to save myself through, through the technology that man creates out of creation. I'm looking at creation as a platform to worship God, to live on planet earth for divine purposes. No, faith is not a virtue. It's a confession. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. That's what's so revolutionary for Nicodemus, this religious man. Can I tell you a secret? Jesus is going to tell the same thing to a messed up woman who's not religious, who doesn't have her life together. She's so broken and she's been so used. And yet the message is exactly the same thing for her as it was for Nicodemus. I got something for you on the inside, living waters, living waters. You must be born again from within, from above, and from love from our Father. Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And I confess that I often love darkness rather than light. Yet I thank you that, that by your grace, you've shown me the light. You've given me growth by grace and by your spirit. And I pray you'll continue to do so. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that, that we would all come to you, Jesus, and knowing that we will in no way be cast out by you, but that you will show us what leads to real, meaningful life.